Yo, what up? It's Force of Philip on the track. We about to do this shit in one take. It's the Strass Daddy theme song. Let's go. What up, it's Strass Daddy. We're playing some Mavi on the stream. We green some for the night of the rather quarry. Ramming Napa Wasteland and excavate them. Reclaim them. We're paying Adolf Sylvan Library. Casting spells off a of five-color canary. Wait, that's a bop. We punish fire so hot. The willows will the way for nice to grow or rotating crops. We never get tired of drawing the best card off the top. Cause endurance is our mantra. We simply cannot be stopped. Cardio unparalleled, hang on to your sleeves, best believe Gaddick Teague will achieve a trophy in this league. You will see how we beat legacy, no reprieve, punish creatures endlessly with these trees. So call me Mr. Strass, daddy, playing some Mavi on the stream. We greet some for night of the reliquary and say go. Let us untap and we will accept that's our signal. Buzz you, bug you like the naughty gobble from Shadow Mo. Thank for the Strass, daddy, to play you some Mavi on the stream. We greet some for night of the reliquary because she's a fatty. Plotting the cemetery, the lands, your obituary, your mana base get wasted like Ojeda from Watsi. What up, it's Strass Daddy. We're playing some Mavi on the stream. We green some for the night of the rather quarry. Ramming Napa Wasteland and excavate them, reclaim them. We're paying Adolf Sylvan Library. Casting spells off a of five-color canary. Wait, that's a bop. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark. And with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Yo, with you as always, but the least important of all the people here. Let's just dive into it, Zach. We have the Mega Maverick Masterclass. Let me let me just straight off introduce Dukes from Dukes on Twitch. And we've got Stress Daddy here. Welcome to the cast. Happy to be here. Excellent being here. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Phil. Very cool to be here alongside Mark to talk Mav. The the plan today is to talk Maverick, which is something that Phil and I don't, we don't normally talk about non-blue decks. So this is a great kind of a crossover episode where like everyone's going to get a chance to find out more about uh, Magic the Gathering that Phil and I don't necessarily play all that often. The extent that I play Maverick is pestering these two gentlemen about Samwise Gamgee. So what we're going to do is we're just going to hand it over, uh, starting with uh, Mr. Strastaddy himself. Tell us a little bit about yourself how you got started playing the archetype of Maverick, then we'll pass it over to Dukes. Cool. So I was uh, destined to be a nerd. I grew up, uh, my dad had a comic shop, uh, 86 or something. He had the comic shop and they got magic and fallen empires. So I was a little kid with cards. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I had Shiv and Dragon and Sarah Angel. Then he lost the shop. Then he started working at another shop many years later during the like Mercadian block, got into it. And then he stopped having that job. So I had nowhere to play and then got back into it to 2008 and up burn and then goblins and then i got robbed and then i bought burn and then i bought goblins again and then uh eventually uh created my own silly archetype and eventually it became maverick how about you dukes yeah i started off as a legacy death and taxes player who wanted to splash with cards like choke and ghetto teague and the small splash for green wasn't enough, so moved into Maverick. Uh, found a lot of Mark's content uh, and a lot of content out there. Yeah, haven't looked back since. It's very cool to be playing a creature-based deck in Legacy in 2023. Not something people typically think about when you think about Legacy. Probably not the most powerful thing you can do, but definitely one of the most rewarding. We should note that Dukes is the founder of GreensunZenith.com, where anybody can go to find all of their Maverick needs. One thing that Zach and I talk about a lot on the on the show is 
the legacy power level thing to do with any given archetype. As the miracles bro myself, usually that goes back and forth between counterbalance or specifically terminus, depending on the metagame. So for example, right now we're in a bowmaster post Lord of the Rings metagame. So if there's going to be a lot of bodies on the board, terminus gets more appealing. And so I move towards terminus and that's what I advocate for other miracles players. And then similarly for Zach on the eight cast side, obviously Urza Saga arguably one of the pound for pound best cards in Legacy that I'm sure we'll get into on the Maverick side. From your guys' opinion, having played Maverick for so many years, at this point in 2023 Legacy, what would you say is the Legacy power level thing to do from a Maverick player's seat? I want to hear Dougal first on this because he and I are similar, but I uh, I kind of feel like I'm more narrow-minded. So I, I want to hear the honest opinion here. It's still a bit of a one-two punch. So when I think of kind of the unfair things that Maverick can do, it's Thalia and Wasteland or it's Mother Vroon's and Gadok Teague or Mother Vroon's and Collect Oof. So it's kind of the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts where typically need to rely on more than just one thing. Yeah, a lot of it is still, in my opinion, the disruption part is based on creatures, but things like Urza Saga, Minsk and Boo, you're definitely having access to other ways to win games and create some value. Uh, that's more than just the sort of typical one for one we see in Wasteland Your Land or Swords Plush as your one creature. So access to that is is pretty huge. So uh, I'm going to surprise you here, Dougal, but I, I think Punishing Fire is uh, what the deck wants to be doing. So for those who don't know, I only play Punishing Maverick. If somebody comes on stream as like a guest stream, I won't play the pun. I think I've done it maybe once or twice without it on my own volition. I started playing Maverick before Thalia was a card. And back then, it may surprise you, Wrath of God was the only real board sweep or Day of Judgment, but really Wrath of God. Just to dive in for context for everybody listening, Thalia came out in the Innistrad block at the same time that Miracles did. So before Terminus and before Thalia, the entire Legacy metagame was entirely different. Avacyn really, Avacyn Restored really brought in a shift in Legacy's trajectory between Terminus and Thalia and Grizzlebrand all entering the format with that block. Well said, that's that's great context. Supreme Verdict and um, even later Toxic Deluge and Dead of Winter. I played the deck in a very controlling way. The longer the game goes, the better it gets for me. So I really like the grindy uh, mindset of less about the tax and more about getting value. And instead of playing a card like Force of Will that two for ones yourself to most of the time, stay within the tempo of the game, just play all value spells and treat it like Jund or, you know, that's that's been the mindset for me. So additional context from what Strass just said, Punishing Fire combos with Grove of the Burn Willows, where Grove, you tap it for red mana, your opponent gains a life, and then Punishing Fire lets you rebuy the Punishing Fire from your graveyard when that happens by using that red mana. So you effectively get to regrow your Punishing Fire with Grove of the Burn Wills on the table infinitely. Hearing your guys' past, we learned that Strastaddy's a burn player into Goblin's player into burn player as his history. And then he moves towards playing a burn spell in his Maverick builds. And Dugues was a death and taxes player and leans heavier on the taxes strategy, protecting hate bears. Can you guys or talk about the what the differences are in terms of the archetypes that you like sitting across the most and what you fear the most and how moving harder into either punishing fire or the hate bear strategy either enables you to be more flexible in your deck building and changing up for new cards or restrictions thereof coming from a paper background you don't see a lot of the combo decks at least in the experience that i have here on the east coast of the u.s in maryland and in philadelphia i really have not seen too many people going turn one kill you i just imagine the people who after work, pre-COVID, drove all the way to the LGS, sat down, and the game's over in five minutes. 
and everybody else is playing and you just have to like sit there and wait. So I think like MTGO really gives those combo players the ability to just jam games and coming from a paper background. I get emotional against turn one, kill you decks. And uh, since I'm not often playing Thalia these days, uh, the last thing I want to see is a deck that's doing something totally degenerate. Turn one, even turn two or turn three. Any deck that wants to play the actual game of Magic the Gathering, you know, like one or two spells per turn, one or two lands per turn. That's what I want to play. And I'm, I'm looking at you, Zach, Mr. 8-cast, breaking the rules. Stress that he did finish. It was 12th place, right, at SCG Baltimore? I think 11th. And I'm, 11th I'm, I'm, place. I'm pissed that you had to me to 12th. There, there is something glorious about being in the top 11. Was your, was your tournament mostly comprised of facing what would be considered fair decks? One reanimate deck and... The Cephalid Breakfast deck, but that's like a turn. It can turn to you, but it's often not going to. It's creature removal, which I run a lot of. For those combo decks, that's one of the best if you're not going to play the uh, the taxes kind of build. I would say very close to Mark in that a lot of players in paper, for me, play more grindy decks. I think people just generally like playing magic and no hard feelings against combo players, but... The average amount of turns you get against combo is obviously a lot less than those of the, the mid-range plans. Online, there is a lot of combo, and that's generally because people like to grind leagues with fast decks. So when it comes to something like a sideboard, it's hard to recommend the sideboard that I play online in front of players for their paper magic because it's probably a whole different experience. But that's also good because it gets people thinking about what they need to sideboard how to sideboard, how to like target a local meta game. I, I do like the longer games. I love the eight cast matchup. I love the lands matchup. Uh, I even don't mind the sort of blue, white Stoneforge style control decks. Not so much the four color decks. I find that sometimes the game goes too long where they just really start to outgrind you. But when you look at online, there are a lot of combo decks and my sideboards typically run only free and one mana spells sometimes. So free spells and things like Force of Vigor, Mindbreak Trap, Leyline, very surgical endurance. And then, you know, maybe Deafening Silence because a lot of the time, if you do want to kind of survive online, you have to have that early interaction. And turn two plays in things like Thalia or Galactic or Collector Uber, great, but you have to get to turn two. And it's it's not as easy as just being able to, to untap sometimes. Not a big fan of playing against the fast combo decks, but it is part of legacy, so you got to be ready for it. As Strass had mentioned a moment ago, the difference of having moved away from Thalia, Duke's is still on the more prison-style builds, although I've seen Duke also experiment with things like Esper Sentinel and other cards of that nature. In Maverick's trajectory of adding Thalia to the deck, maybe Thalia is not required for the deck. Moving into where we had a whole era of Renin 6 before it got banned. And that actually helped out decks like Storm because now all of the fair decks were not playing this deck that was just better on the grind. What happened, two-part question, what happened to Stoneforge Mystic? And what cards do you guys consider absolutely non-negotiable in Maverick? Like what cards, if you sat down from a, a player and they didn't play this card, you'd be like, well, it's not Maverick because it doesn't have these cards. Gonna go with Punishing Fire. Uh, no. Um... <laughs> Reasonable. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, for me, uh, non-negotiable, I think. If you cut fourth sword and cut it to three, I think that's crazier than even trimming a green sun zenith, especially in this day and age. Um, I think swords is... The reason to play white. I think Swords is arguably the best. Um, Swords of Plowshares, I should say, is arguably one of the best spells in the meta. I think Pyroblast is a card that I don't want to leave home without uh, in the board. There are just so many blue decks. It is tempo 
positive most of the time. In other words, you spend one mana and they often spend one or more. Uh, you know, if you hit a cantrip, great, but a Merc Tide's two, a Teferi's three, a show and tell. So it's tempo positive that way. It's a one for one. Stoneforge. So there's two there's two players I'm going to give a shout out on that. Uh, three, really. Say Harry, one, two, three, two. Uh, my buddy, uh, Carador, who that's his handle, uh, and uh, Clips for Life still frequently play with Stoneforge Mystic, probably 30 to 40% of the time. Not every time with Cauldra. Don't have much of an opinion because I think Saga is better in the deck. What makes Maverick Maverick? I would say... Green Sun Zenith. And I think another way to kind of look at it is does the, the deck look like a deck that's going to use Zenith to its advantage to shut down some other decks? So it has disruptive creatures. And also, is it a deck that just kind of wins through combat damage or concessions? That's probably what I would say is Maverick these days. But it is tough. I would say also green white X decks, but you're definitely seeing less white these days. People have moved away from Mother Runes have tried out cards like Esper Sentinel, but haven't always stick with, stick with them. Thalia's definitely showing her her old age. Teague has seen some comeback, but obviously isn't kind of the, the mandatory card it used to be. A lot of the time you see now, the white is obviously for Swords of Plushes, pr- still the premier removal spell on Legacy, next to Punishing Fire. Knight of the Reliquary is even getting cut a little bit just to make room for other really good three drops or other creatures hitting the format. And so Forge Mystic is obviously in there as well as just a white creature. So I think it's a few things. I think that there's there's no real need for the beta in Maverick. You have a lot of big creatures already. And Mark does that as well through Urza's Saga with Constructs, which is nice. It is typically card advantage, but sometimes if you get a Caldra or a Batiskel, that card just rots in your hand. Is it really a, a two for one? In saying that as well, it's a bit of a mana sink. Um, it does take a fair bit of time, so... If you are searching up a Jide, that's six mana, two for Stoneforge, two to put in, two to equip. It might come down to how important in your local metagame is it to be able to search up a card like Jide? Like, is that going to be having a a massive effect on most of the games you play against? In a deck with Green Sun Zenith, every non-green creature has to have a really good reason for being there because every slot that you take away from even one green creature is five virtual copies that you're missing out of with green sun zenith which is huge so saying like you know is is two stone forge better than you know playing a collector if in the main deck which now you have five copies of or something else it's it's really hard to to do i'm a huge proponent in maximizing the power of green sun zenith because obviously the more different creatures in there it just makes it better in how it scales from mana acceleration with uh dried arbor all the way up to say questing beast or or something else uh it's really hard to kind of take away its ability to potentially turn off artifacts or destroy an artifact or enchantment damage can't be prevented i think it's a uh, it's really hard in 2023 where you really need your green suns in it to be as flexible as possible to not use those slots i'd say four slots usually like two stone forge to equipment or three stone forge to equipment for either additional removal or green suns targets from my side of the table where i'm always going to be casting ponder brainstorm and you know not letting go of the fact that sensei's divining top got banned when i think of maverick i think obviously of green sun zenith but i think of it green sun zenith as a pillar of the format that sort of is the backbone of a lot of decks do you guys have a, a point of view on how far you be consider the bleed between maverick as we know it punishing maverick or green white maverick or maybe even obs on maverick and where it fits along the axis between something like cradle control which is more of a black green green sun zenith deck and green white depths which is also a green sun knight of the reliquary deck 
that looks to finish with Dark Depths. And what I imagine most people would categorize more as a Dark Depths deck than a Knight of the Reliquary Maverick style deck. But they all hinge on Green Sun Zenith being their backbone. Where, where do you guys sit on the power level of each one and why you choose to stay in the lane of Maverick as opposed to veering off into one of those two? One thing I'll say is uh, when you play a game like Doom, you have the... Uh, skill difficulty at the start from like easy to like nightmare and i definitely consider maverick to be the the nightmare choice for legacy when it comes to like green decks because the one big difference between critical control depths and maverick is that maverick doesn't have that typical i win button of natural order for attractor or dark depths you it has more subtle ones like green suns for collect oof against potentially an eight cast player in game one who doesn't want to play it out or wasteland wasteland again with ramen app or or night so it's definitely changed a bit over the last few years where these hate bears have become less of a stop sign and more of a speed bump so say old school ant probably couldn't beat game one teague but now you have a lot of decks even if you play a turn two collector oof which is kind of the go-to hate bear for a lot of these decks to shut them down and try to get that free kind of I win in game one, they still have ways to to storm off and use the artifacts to storm or wish for some sort of cyborg card like Grape Shot, which makes it a lot harder to not just have, yeah, the ability just to say, oh, here's natural order, or you didn't do anything in your turn. So I'm going to actually use the knight to go and get Dark Depths this turn, find the Dark Depths and, and swing for 20. I think there's that part. Uh, also a huge shout out to Newton, who's taken elves completely away from elves towards a deck that does have a small amount of disruption in the Green Suns package, but also keeps that I win button of, okay, I have Collector Oof my deck. If that's not relevant against you, I'm probably going to sack this to a Grist to make it relevant or sack it to a Natural Order to win the game. Yeah, I would say that the biggest difference is that ability just to kind of win the game out of nowhere. Make sure that every card in your deck has a role in that you can, you know, turn that Collector Oof against you know, the, the Mirror in Elves into removal through Grist or into a wink on through Natural Order. I like it. Uh, while you were talking and I'm listening to it, I started to almost picture a Venn diagram and I'm going to add one other deck. So we have Maverick, we have Cradle Control or Elves, we'll, we'll say Newton version, and then we have well, Yeah, I should, pro- I should probably give some some context that Cradle Control, for those who, who don't know, is the evolution of Elves where it plays Fiend Artisan to essentially play Green Sun Zenith copies 5 through 8, but Fiend Artisan opens up the Green Sun Zenith package to non-green creatures, and therefore there's other controlling elements that you can play like Opposition Agent and such. But it is effectively a Green, green Sun Zenith creature-based deck that is looking to interact in some capacity with your opponent to play a mid-rangey grindy game. Yeah, replacing a lot of the elves and glimpse uh, to accomplish that. So Cradle Control, so Maverick, we'll say Green-White Maverick, and then we'll say Cradle Control, and then Depths. But then we're going to talk about the red-headed stepchild who disappeared from the metagame, Loam. Shout out to Lomer Boy. That's another style. So I think that there is some overlap. And I'd say um, Maverick would be the prison. And I think Maverick and Loam share a lot, especially the versions I play. And then I think Depths and Elves kind of giving you that I win button share a little bit too. They're both pretty toolboxy. I like the Loam style of let's make this game go long and to uh, talk to the the difficulty of the game, the nightmare thing. Dahlia can be a free win. Loam gets Chalice, which can be a free win. Elves gets Natural Order, which could be a free win. I'm opting for no free wins in my deck. Let, let's fight. Let's just, <laughs> we're making choices here. That's what I like. Don't want to forget about Loam. That definitely is a deck that I think is still 
playable if you're good at it and maybe there's some new innovators there get back on it Vuk and Mats please you kind of uh, helped me segue into a topic that Strass had actually wanted to talk about which is specifically being a specialist on a particular archetype and given how much bleed there is across the spectrum of legacy decks like you guys were mentioning if we were to dissect the green sun zenith range of combo prison control aggro that you you sort of get a sense of like other decks that it touches through but adds green sun zenith so like the duke style very clearly leans from a dnt style deck that's moving harder into green for that style package strass daddy move uh, similarly but moving away from the prison elements to be a, a little bit more grindy a little bit more control deck very jundy like he explained before once you move into depths you're starting to get into combo and there are other other elements that you can get with combo decks particularly if you add life in the loam and then you get into like very long i remember there was a field of the dead knight of the reliquary deck a long time ago that that has sort of fallen out of the metagame as of late but i remember losing to it a lot being a specialist with a given archetype in my head you guys are the go-to guys for maverick i get that you're in two distinct lanes like as we've already discussed but do you guys get a sense from the legacy community at large that there is an onus on you to constantly be innovating the archetype or is that something that you you naturally enjoy to begin with or do you feel a sense of i get this sometimes with miracles people ask me all the time like phil is it time to move on to breakfast like maybe it's not maybe you just play the blue white combo deck instead of the blue white control deck maybe it's time phil and you know and i sometimes i agree with them because i see the the deck winning a lot and i'm like maybe i should put my tundras towards auto win but but then i'm also like mm, but i really want to terminus the shit out of people you know i really want to just play a counterbalance or, or do you always think that you're going to be a, a maverick enthusiast through and through or do you think that there is uh, at a certain point if the data doesn't show that it is maximizing your win percentages would you move away from the archetype or innovate towards uh, something that's out of your wheelhouse a la adding those free win buttons and be moving more into a combo based style of maverick as the format progressively gets more powerful i'm gonna go first because i'm gonna shout out mark in this part i definitely move around when oku was around and a few other cards that just made other decks that little bit better than, than tier one it was quite hard to i'm not gonna cry it was really hard to stay on maverick so i did you know lean into depths uh, i really wanted that i win button that way to kind of close out a game without our opponent finding uh the time to really take advantage of those you know card advantage or, or other cards that, that come online i've definitely moved around a lot but mark is someone who is stuck with maverick through and through which is very cool even through the hard times it's it's really nice to see someone who's that dedicated even though he stays on maverick he does try out new things obviously it's it's gone a long way now on the saga build which is very cool playing some some different cards that that people don't typically play with because you want to see them. I think a lot of players these days just see a card and go, oh, that's not playable. But I really enjoy players who actually put the time in to show either why a card isn't playable or, you know, hold up, actually playing this card, it's it's nuts. So we're, we're going to play this. Uh, and I think Mark's definitely one of those players. So uh, although... I've definitely moved around to, to Depson and other decks. I usually try to stay within the, the green-white pie of Legacy. Nice to always know that if I see stress on Twitch, it's going to be Maverick. Thanks for saying that. Many years ago, I played WoW, and I was the second best resto shaman on the server. And it meant so much to me. I would talk to people in my social life of how cool it is that I'm in this guild and I could heal people, and no one gives a shit. That's been... So many years <laughs> removed. And this That's why I played Druid, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it all. Hybrids. I just couldn't tank, you know, but uh that meant something to me. And eventually, the more I've lived, I was a division one wrestler, as an example. And the more that you live sometimes, the more at least I live, the more you realize 
it's all nothing. We're all just on this planet, just going by and we're all going to die someday. And you make these relationships and you have these connections and just do what you like. And if, if you think that somehow being the trophy leader or winning a tournament is going to mean something many years later, it might a little bit to you, but the days are going to go by and people are just going to kind of forget and you know, eventually that'll be something where you're old and nobody even knows what you're talking about if you live long enough. And um, to me, uh, it's a long way of saying like, why? We all die alone. Yeah, we all die alone. <laughs> Yo, I got, I got, I'm just going to say, I love the philosophical turn that we have, we have shifted into. And I, I don't understand why you've never splashed black so you could play Nihilist Maverick. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Do what you like. And if, if you really like, if you like the idea that you're going to come up with the best deck and brew it and, and beat everybody, then great. You know, we, we need people like that. Uh, you know, guys who are hyper competitive. Uh, it's awesome. But I think like I kind of had that with other things in my life. And now at this point, after all these years, this is the deck that I enjoy the most. I identify with it. I feel close to it. I feel a community. And um, I've had quite a few people pick up the deck, which is awesome. And innovate and help me and that community is uh it's what keeps me going i'll say um playing into the renin sixes or even a tabalt or jerks like you with terminus you know like playing a creature deck against four main deck and instant speed one mana wrath of gods i did it and i top beat it an event when that was the number one deck and dig through time was legal you know, it's just, it's got to hang in there. Yeah, I think hanging in there is a big part of it. Uh, I know for, for me, the dark times were like when uh, Treasure Cruise was really big and I was on Rug Delver and like every one of my threats was like needs cards in the graveyard, but also everyone else was drawing three cards. And like, I continue to feel the pull to like need to play that card. But at the same time, like knowing that like, it's just not who I am. I think if you stick with a deck for long enough, you see those cycles of like your deck being complete crap. And then like something changes in the meta and and the reps that you put in in between to like really grind and learn that deck end up paying off in dividends later on when you didn't just jump to like whatever the new hot thing was. Uh, and for me, that was when Ren and Six came out and I was already like, oh yeah, I want to Wasteland Stifle and Ren and Six. And, you know, I had I had like a little moment in the sun fr from that. And I think sticking sticking to the deck that you want to play, even even when it is bad, there's something to be said about that. I, I was called upon by Strass Daddy and, you know, as the instant speed 4X Terminus guy. So, so I, would, I would like to respond. <laughs> Uh, I actually think that us on fair fair decks without the combo win button actually makes us uh, closer than further apart, even though I am trying to wrap the shit out of your board. Because what you are you would explain from like what Zach just said of like, you know, I was it was rough for a little while. Man, when initiative was the best deck, boys, playing a creatureless control deck was not the path. It was not the way forward when they were on the uninteractable mechanic with four cavern of souls. So, uh, you know, we, we are we are all we are all we are all nihilists now. I still feel feel like even though you know i chat with you guys relatively often i watch all of dude's material on youtube i watch strass on twitch all the time i i watch a lot of maverick content even though i've never actually sleeved the deck up myself so i've, I've thought about it a lot what do you guys consider to be the ideal progression through the first three or four turns of every game sitting down in the dark like you sit down at an event you're like ideally every game starts like this this is how my curve plays out. Like as I'm keeping hands, I'm looking to do what? The first thing up, I think it's very hard to say like, you know, does this hand be a turn one combo? No, you're not a force of wheel deck. So you kind of have to just put that aside. Uh, I, I usually look at what the plan is. Like, do we have mana acceleration? Uh, if we have fetches, what colors do we need? Do we have a plan against unfed X? We have a plan against FedEx. So something like say uh, two lands, green sun zenith. 
for ramp, and then you know Thalia or uh, another Green Suns for say Collect Oof, and then a Swords is is pretty perfect because it's it's mana. I'm getting my mana online. Uh, if my opponent does something like a you know turn one preordain, which these days is a little bit more uh, combo side than having you know Green Suns for Oof is great. It is tough because it's a deck where you can definitely draw the wrong side. So even if you have a hand that's set up to draw you know anything you you draw into, you might just not draw into something to to put your mana into. But yeah, it is it is tough. I actually have started using Moxfield before games as kind of a warm up where I'll load my deck and then load a few hands and then just talk through them um, and just be like, okay, would I would I keep this hand against Delver? Would I keep this hand against uh, a combo deck? And would I keep this hand in the blind? Um, and that's a really nice way to like kind of just, just warm up because as I get older, I'm finding I have to stretch before I go hiking. And I kind of find that uh, doing that sort of uh, just like mental game early on can really help out and make it a bit more of just something you always go to for every hand you keep because you kind of ha you have to have a plan you're very sorcery speed in your reaction that you can't just you know instantly change it too often you know you you have to get the collector oof into play before they play the artifacts and tap them you have to get your, your gadok t or your thalia down before your opponent casts their spells that obviously tax them so it's tough in the blind but make sure you have some sort of plan and go forth and conquer i, I think that's a good explanation i in the list i play i'd say any hand that functions functions you kind of have to keep i run way too many three drops i don't run that many two drops and my mana base is kind of a mess so on the blind if it would work in a gold fishing situation like you know in box field like you're saying where you just draw a hand and you're actually able to like play the game yeah i'm probably keeping it i, I think only three drops in hand and lands might be a mull and if it has sylvan library it's an auto keep that's something that i want to i want to jump upon as somebody who loves selection i love card selection i love even if it's the illusion of having more agency to reduce the variance from game to game i'm an absolute sucker for that i'm the dude who's trying to jam more than 12 cantrips in my deck right like i want i want all air and then terminus that's it. Maybe you didn't treat the angels. The more air, the better, right? Like I love having control over things. I recently saw uh, a Duke's video where you were playing three Sylvan Library. And when I've heard Reed Duke playing Jund, or I hear you guys talking about Maverick, I'll watch Daddy. And like the second that he's got like, oh, Sylvan Library, like that was the nutter butter draw. It seems like having that kind of selection, even outside of blue, is so immensely valuable. But I so rarely see the deck that's playing three or four Sylvan Library, you know, Duke's, if you you want to talk about that league that you played with it and how it performed the same way that green sun zenith has been a backbone for maverick for as long as i can remember it's always been interesting to me that sylvan library never found that same space to be a pivotal part of the skeleton is there a reason for that is it just too clunky or is it something that has been explored and just like there hasn't been the commitment to it to like fully flesh that out i want to build on that one second as well phil because it's been like 20 years since i've had more than one sylvan library and play at the same time that's you draw two extra cards each time so it's like you're drawing four cards you resolve them first so if, if two were to go on the stack you draw two you decide whether or not you want to pay four life per card and then you resolve the next one so you'll see two cards deep if you paid eight which i mean honestly who's not here to full send am i right like <laughs> don't be a coward pay eight uh but eight. Uh, but if, if if you were to put two back then you would resolve the second one by just looking at two cards again so you have to resolve them okay. in order you don't draw okay. yeah it's been like six like said, cards it's been with 20 three years since i've had more than one in play not since i played Ernam armageddon however the, having them stacked that way does mean that you can do instant speed shuffle effects so you can like put two back 
before the second one resolves, you can fetch and then look at two fresh cards. So there are some tricks. Yeah, funnily enough, the earlier versions of Sylvan Library had a zero activation cost. The fifth edition so people version, look at it yeah. and think that you can needle it, <laughs> which to be fair, you can play Fifth Needle and name Sylvan Library. It's just not going to do anything. Yeah, I would say there's a, a few things over time. Sylvan Library not being a creature is just a small thing in a creature deck. Uh, it is something that you need to untap with to get value out of. It does run into draw hate. So things like Narset or Holbreacher or Leovold or now Orcish Bowmasters. Yeah, it's a card that, again, kind of takes that slot of sort of Stoneforge Mystical, the non-green creatures or removal. I really like two, but three is really good as well because I believe with three, the chance of having it in your opening hand is 33%. And once you find one, you can use it to make sure you don't draw the others, which is nice. And if you do have two, if you do say keep a hand with one and then draw one in your first opening turn, it's one less, it's one backup for like, you know, Counter Magic or Prismatic Ending, which is a big card these days. And although Prismatic Ending is a nice one for one, it is one less Prismatic Ending than for your actual creatures, which is great as well. I typically, even if the cards on top aren't great, I typically try to at least pay four life on the first library to replace it so that if it is removed by something like a Prismatic Ending, I have got some value out of it. That's interesting. But I don't always pay eight because you only have so much life. And if I do get a shuffle effect, I do want to be able to pay that for for cards that are that are meaningful. Making sure I get the the early two for one if I can is pretty relevant. And Maverick doesn't have too much life gain with things like Scavenging Ooze being taken out of the deck for you know cards like Endurance. But there are versions with Shadow Spear, you know, Swords. If your creature gets Swords, you know, there's nothing better against Miracles than your opponent Swords in your twelve twelve Knight and you untapping and just drawing an extra two cards. Yeah, you know, against a deck like Delver, it could be really really key to look back and say, well, if I didn't actually pay that extra four life, I would have had a, an additional turn, which is pretty huge. So the more aggressive the format gets, probably the worse Sylvan Library gets because you can untap with a library, but you might be at 12 life or you know even lower. Would you say that the additions of Force of Vigor out of the sideboard and Endurance in the main board, so having the Force of Will effect of additional green cards that are pitchable to these pitch effects, does that change the calibration on how many Sylvan Libraries you consider playing when you're putting a deck together? Or is it not sufficient enough to to warrant changing numbers? Yeah, I would say it's a bonus. It's nice to have those extra green pips in the deck for cards like Endurance. Uh, and against the deck where you might want to Endurance turn zero, the library is probably going to be a bit too slow anyway. So it's kind of nice to have that card that although you don't really want to two on yourself, you also don't want to lose. And you kind of know that library is just not going to be part of this game. So Dougal hit the nail on the head, which is the more aggressive it is, the format, uh, the worse it gets. The fake answer is curse the blonde haired, blue eyed Canadian guy, Achilles for playing once upon a time in the deck and really pushing it towards that um by the way really like that player haven't seen him in a while but there's a debate about once upon a time or sylvan i think achilles would play like one sylvan in the board for the tundra matchups but that was about it and um the other reason to run sylvan is if you were to look at a mana curve you're not running mystic you're not running thalia what two drop options do you actually have and uh, mana curve is something that's often overlooked but you have to or you ought to have a turn one play, a turn two play, and a turn three play. And if you have all turn three plays, if they kill your mana dork, then you're really far behind. I think it's the best two drop, and especially in a clunky deck like mine. I've heard people like uh, Lomer Boy say, you never board out Mox Diamond. Never, ever board out Mox Diamond. For me, Sylvan Library is almost that, except maybe against Burn. But that's like about it for me. And the other factor is, I think... 
Sylvan Library, it's green. So when you play a really green, greedy mana base, you actually will likely get to cast it. Where something like Thalia, if you're not playing the basic planes like a mad person, you may not get to cast it. With the Green Sun Zenith package, you get infinite tutor targets. Scrib Ranger's been in the deck. Like we talked about before, Scavenging Ooze is in the deck. We talked about bullets like Collector Ooze. I know that Dukes is a... Sylvan Safekeeper. I know that Dukes has has talked about Questing Beast recently as an option against the One Ring. There's a Black Splash for Grist that has, as far as I know, been a staple as a one-of in the deck since it's printing because you can Green Sun's for it. Is there a reason or is there just no creature that's ever been a value to dip towards blue because i'm thinking of the green sun zenith deck in blue is the yorion uro big green sun zenith pile which is just a bunch of good cards doing good stuff some of their bullets that are that dip into blue are things like uro or granted that is a you know you need multiple blue pips on the on the back end but stuff like leovold comes to mind as like often targets is ice fang coaddle i mean i get that we need snow basics for that but is there a reason why it's i mean maybe it's just my perception that blue creatures that are also green usually fall by the wayside when it comes to maverick options on the splash i'll I'll lead here first card i would say would be uh you wouldn't splash it for a green sun zenith target but when it was legal Oko, you had to play it. And uh, the rule was kind of like what the gun nuts say, uh, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So it was uh, the only way to stop a bad guy with an Oko is a good guy with an Oko. We were able to. And we were all the bad guys. We were all the bad guys. (laughs) It turns out everyone was evil. (laughs) Are we the baddies? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. But I was was still a good guy in my mind. I think uh, Leovold is something that you will occasionally see. I think it's a meta call. I'd have to go five color because I don't often splash black. Four is reasonable. Five is like, what are you doing? Uro is good. I think alone can get away with Uro because escape is such a challenging thing to set up as well as double blue is very hard to set up without mocks. And I don't could be wrong. I think that's about all I would say, uh, really just Leo. Dukes, your country has sane gun laws, so maybe that metaphor was lost on you, but what do you think? Bant Maverick has a... Yeah, I have a soft spot for Bant. I think Bant's one of the coolest color combinations. But I feel like whenever I've played Bant, it just hasn't shown up any of the weaknesses that the deck has. And one of the big ones that's kind of underestimated is decks that go wide. Like, you can have a 12-12 night. But if your opponent has like six goblins, then they're just going to, you know, get around that. So not having access to, say, Punishing Fire or or Toxic Deluge or Plague Engineer, you know, you kind of have things like maybe Engineered Explosives in Bant. You do have some cool cards. It has definitely seen play over time with cards like Meddling Mage, Flusterstorm, Lavinia. When Hullbreach was printed, obviously having that turn two is great. Obviously being able to take full the full power level of Noble Hierarch, tapping for all three colors on color is fantastic as well. And Michael Mapson actually had the question of if you could unban a a card for Maverick, what would it be? And I think if if Maverick could only play it, it would be Oko, because then it would open up Bant as kind of a, a viable option. But only if uh, you could only were the yeah. only ones that could play it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I uh, like that ban situation. Uro is obviously a great one. Uh, I have seen four color decks or sort of Abzan splash trop for Leo. Uh, some decks don't even play the trop and just rely on green suns and your mana dogs to tap for the, the blue. Obviously, there's small considerations like uh, I think Maverick does try to go after blue decks. You have cards like Choke as well, which are very strong. Uh, so hitting yourself with those oh, yeah. means you probably aren't playing them. But yeah, it's tough. I feel like when I play Bant and I come up against sort of a Bant control deck, they're just built so much better as a Bant deck that you just get outplayed pretty easily especially when you're using sort of you know sorts of plowshares on an ice fang to get through 
where they've already drawn a card from the Ice Fang can be quite hard. But I think in a maybe like a Renin 6 era where you had access to the Blue Blasts, that'd be kind of cool. Referencing the idea of what could come off the ban list, something that's sort of on the Moto ban list right now are all the 40k cards. And I know that Strass has been a big advocate for getting Moloch finally into the format. What are your guys' thoughts on when Moloch actually comes in, how pivotal that'll be for the deck? But additionally, uh, on the topic of ban, there's also, a, I'm, I believe the card is called, is it Mike and Thorpe? One blue oh, green. Yes. 2-2 two, two flyer that when it ETBs, you exile opponent's yard, and then it gets plus one, plus one counters for the number of creatures. I, I I bought a set thinking that that was going to be a playable option, and then it just, it hasn't really shown up in paper to my knowledge, but it's also not on Moto either, because it's a 40k card. Thing it's like that. Malanthrope. 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 It is a 2-2 two, two flyer for uh, one, a green, and a blue, and it has Scavenge the Dead. When this enters the battlefield, exile target player's graveyard, put a plus one, plus one counter on Malanthrope for each creature exiled this way so it's a green sun zenith a bowl way to exile oh. a yard and then it's a yeah. big flyer potentially but granted like that is also fighting for similar space that endurance is fighting in and so i wanted to see if you guys had i take it that you haven't really thought too much about this card if you want to talk about moloch i would love to hear your thoughts on where that would sit in current ma builds of maverick that you both play uh definitely a one of for me i think um there are some versions and i would be interested to hear what uh, uh Dougal thinks about this um once upon a time and thalia and having a removal spell that's a creature seems like it could fit it has the tempo mindset of like you're playing a creature you're exiling something and you have a body but in the lists that i play i think with punishing fire i think it's a sweet one of i feel like even uh, a lot of the uh depths decks are playing one in paper there's also quite a few cards for painter i think in that set that are relevant but definitely moloch for us yeah if you look back on maverick in general john stern has a scg deck tech in 2012 or 2013 i believe on youtube where he has tamagoyf as kind of the, the the two drop in the deck which these days has dropped out just because it is a beater but that's that's it it's just kind of a, a beat stick so you have cards over time like Thalia, Gadoctique, Scavenging Ooze, Spirit of the Labyrinth in the two-drop slot that are all kind of hey bears that if your opponent plays you know, a bigger creature, it can be pretty tough to, to get through. So I think having something like Morlock is, is really strong. Obviously, Grist has shown the power of having removal through Green Suns, and Morlock is a way to have that as well on turn two, which is great. So there are a lot of a time, a lot of times where I'll start with a Noble Hierarch. My opponent will play a Mother Varunes, and I'm like, oh, I don't have a Source of shares. But if you have Green Suns, you can untap it and deal with the Mum. You can deal with a Delver. You can deal with a plethora of creatures. Uh, but I think it's, it's really nice to open up that ability to be able to remove an early threat through Green green suns or if you draw it potentially even draw a card off it uh by you know pumping a bunch of mana into x drop seven uh, mana into that guy and ravenous for plus one card yeah especially with a uh, cradle you you do have ways to get a bunch of mana together i will be interested interested to see how it goes in kind of a, a red green initiative shell so I think that's where a lot of people want to try to play it. Are there any cards that specifically come to mind for you guys about things that when they were spoiled or when you were about to try it out, where you were like, this is going to be the absolute nut. This is going to be incredible. And then it just doesn't pan out or it didn't pan out. Wilson Refined Grizzly. Wilson Refined <laughs> Grizzly is a two mana, two, two. This spell can't be counted. Vigilance, Reach, Trample, and Ward 2. I'm amazed so, that you know this off the top of your head. That is almost <laughs> as many keywords as uh, questions. That's, that's, that's a questing piece, yes. yeah. And it's oh, a choose a background. Feature. Hold on, hold on. What background do you choose? 
I don't choose one. Wow. <laughs> I believe it's, yeah, it's a passionate archaeologist. <laughs> that, was, that, was all, that was also a joke that I'd pick up. But I thought this card was kind of cool for Delver because if you play it turn two, if they're holding up Bolt or Daze, they can't Bolt or Daze it. But just being a 2 2 was a little bit rough because uh, having Reach is great, but if it's a 3 3 DRC or a 3 2 flip Delver, then you're just going to trade one for one. So you do need ways to pump it up. And then you're probably playing things like Stoneforge for maybe swords and putting a sword on it. But then you're back on the Stoneforge plan. So sadly, Wilson just wasn't the beta that we we wanted. But it seemed it seemed like there was just so much text on it that it was going to be relevant somewhere. But it, it just, just wasn't. There was a Neither. green like protection from blue reach creature during like, I want to say gate crash that a lot of people were. Skylasher. There it is. Yeah, Skylasher. 2-2 two, two for reach. Can't be counted. Flash and Pro blue. protection blue. Pro blue. Right? Yeah. yeah, I bought a uh, foil copy of that too. Uh. <laughs> probably for probably for like at least four times what it would have been a, been for not a foil copy. I yeah, the, people were very hot on it for a second. There's definitely the ongoing joke that any white creature printed gets uh, a showing in, in death and taxes, and I feel like that's very similar for any green creatures. Oh, is this the new green suns target? The the rule in the Discord we always say with cards like the Skylasher situation is um, buy high, never sell. It's good stocks. And yeah, I, have, I have a few. I have a few of those. I have. Uh, uh, warrant and warden that i i think i bought like 40 copies of it like a dollar and then it dropped to to like 20 cents dunks i was like this is gonna be so good people are gonna play this it was it's like a removes an attacking creature from from play or like bounces it to your opponent's hand and or makes a four four and i was like this is gonna be the all all the rage and standard and uh that was 40 dollars. i just flushed down the toilet in there shout out to higby on that one i think um there was this weird cyclone card that came out when Ren and Six was out and I was playing this like explore exploration version of Maverick, I thought was going to be good, but you know, it just, it's too much too with like three mana. Courser of Crewfix had its moment, so I can't say it was a bust, but I definitely thought it was going to be a staple with Sylvan Library, just the ability to gain some life as well as like the filtering and a card that wasn't spoiled, but I... I swear it's going to be good one day is Granger Guild Mage card from Mirage. Pings for red, shoots you back. Mm -hmm. And first strike? Yeah. Ha! I got that in my cube. It's sweet. (laughs) Nice. It has its moments. I I really do well. Uh, When after Bosch did really well, the uh, SCG event. Uh, a lot of people are on breakfast, and that is a sweet green Sunzina target to uh, beat breakfast. So all the other ones that I thought, I probably forgot their names. I'm gonna nice. ask you guys a dumb Maverick noob question. I'm gonna guess zero percent chance that you haven't been asked this before. But if green Sun Zenith is so awesome and so good and so great and powerful and wonderful and amazing and worth building a site over, what makes it better than Eladamri's Call, which is a green white instant speed tutor for any creature that you want, given that it would be a way that you can tutor you can leave a mana at instant speed and then play the creature at sorcery speed like you would for green sun zenith anyway and the cost of the card or the mana cost of the card would be more or less the same in that you're still paying more than retail for the creature has eladami's call ever been brought up as like green sun zenith's five through whatever or is this me just being the control player and never wanting to tap my mana on my own turn i've definitely played around with a version with aether vial which means you could still put the creature in which is pretty cool. But I think getting the creature on the board is the biggest thing. And your opponent having to respond to the green suns. And a good example of this is against eight cast, where a few times I've green sunned for three, opponents kind of thinking and going, oh, Knight of Autumn, cool. And then, of course, you can go and get Collector Oof instead. It is extra but if less. You, yes. 
if you Eldamri's call, your opponent knows about the card, which I think significantly takes away the impact it's going to have because your opponent probably gets at least a turn to set up to kind of play around it a little bit. I can get away with that with eight casts because they're not playing days yet. Yes. Wow. I'll go with the Mike Tyson line of uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And uh, there's a lot of really cool cards that you could imagine that would work. But the thing about two mana is it's twice as much as one mana. That's huge when you think about the resources. Cards like a Finale of Devastation, which is like another Green Sun Zenith kind of card that I had to look up. Um, I remembered it. That card is one that's been mentioned. And I, I think ultimately what it boils down to is consistency and the fact that think about how good demonic tutor is green sun zenith when searching for green cards is one less mana than demonic tutor would be so that's just kind of a hint at how good that card actually is yeah when you frame it like that it sounds way more powerful yeah but you have to get a stupid green creature in the post lord of the rings world what's the one kind of creature that you would love to have access to, like the effect that you would love to have access to with green sun zenith that you don't that you like run into in your matches where you're like man if green sun zenith could get this effect that we're missing what what is that effect and what cost would it need to be at or below in order to actually be effective choke bear it's a three mana two two that Island Dunant. We are ending the call. <laughs> uh, guys, I've, I've had such a All wonderful right, time wrap talking it up. to you. Wrap it up. Really, really wonderful time talking with you guys. I really enjoyed uh, the Maverick Masterclass. Thank you so much. <laughs> Choke bear. Oh, oh. Uh, I believe that's what we call a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good double entendre. I like that. Wait, is it actually choke bear? Do you have something in mind, Mark? Green Sun Library? Oh, like Magus of the yes. Library. Yeah, Magus of the Library. Except it's like once it touches the battlefield, it like becomes like Clothis or something. Like I don't oh, want yeah. them Clothis sorting is it. Another card that's like sort of fallen off the face of the earth, right? Did you yeah. got you guys played a bunch of Clothis for a while, right? I did. Yeah. That card Me was, too. was good. That was a great rug Delver card. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it would be. I think my honest answer is, and I think a lot of people think this, I really wish Leovold was Abzan, not Bug. Mm, it's a good one. Thalia on a green sun? Just like your fifth Thalia? I'd play that too, even though it hurt me. I always used to joke about this before Thalia was like, well, maybe around the time of Thalia, I, I would get Gaddicti and like show and tell would still kill me. And like, I would just want a card that had the keywords of like storm doesn't storm, show and tell doesn't show and tell, doomsday doesn't doomsday, you know, just the words don't have to make sense. It just shut those decks off. I guess the last one would be like another endurance kind of card that was mind break trapped, like a creature. Oh, oh like you could sack it to mind break trap them? Yeah, like maybe, you know, it's like a three, four for three mana flash. I, I remember thinking when it was when it came out that it was going to find a home in some form of Maverick, but then, you know, I've I've learned from you guys today, like the actual value of most creatures being green. But I remember when Knight Errant of Eos came out as a way to recoup cards and then also be good against potential combo decks by just silencing them on a combo turn so they could never actually move. I thought that that was actually going to see a ton of play. I mean, it makes sense that it doesn't now after talking to you guys that it not being green suns in the bowl is like too big of a cost. I, yeah, I could see them eventually printing a silence effect that is also in green or something that like gives you hexproof or something, right? Exactly. Just, you know, love Tony, hate his deck tony scapone uh definitely just <laughs> something something for that hey, you both uh, are urza saga bros though true a bear of solitude yeah <laughs> that'd be perfect we already got the null rod we could we could get really creative here but I, I, th I think those are some good ones final uh question uh because we are coming up on time lord of the rings 
So not not devoted halfling, not bowmaster. What do you see in that set? Delighted halfling. Yeah, del- delighted halfling, not devoted right. halfling. That's a whole different card. I'll go ahead and say the one ring is pretty, is way better than I thought. I, I have a habit of not reading cards, and then it takes the card being in play and doing things for me to be like, oh, I get it. That definitely uh-huh. happened to me and Phil. <laughs> Sometimes cards just have too much text, and I just, I need to see it. The one ring, that fourth card is not... That's a different set, right? Fourth, uh, fourth Aerolingus from is, the Commander the product. Commander set, yeah. yeah, bro. Let me let me just point out. We 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 can talk about it real quick. It is definitely an upgraded and treat the angels. A big problem for anybody who's playing exactly my deck is Teferi Time Raveler, which shuts off the miracle mechanic. So haste is infinitely better than flash. The the world in which we live, fourth Aerolingus, is absolutely real. Sort of only seen play in like uh, initiative decks and like somewhat of the four color control decks. But I think there's definitely space in just like a Jeskai classic draw go style control deck that like has the option to fireball and then just recoup cards on monarchy. Well, you've um, joked about changing your yeah. changing your handle to fourth of Phil. I like it. <laughs> I think uh, I, I've played it in Maverick and I've been seeing it in Delver. It's real. It's one of those cards that's so hard to play against. You, you can't plan for it. It's very hard to play against. I actually had a question for Phil because on the last episode you were talking about the ring and tempting you. Three part question. Do you think the the, the tempting of the ring is legacy viable did you like it and three i i I assume it's best in a creature deck the ring tempts you is powerful enough for legacy uh because it is incidental enough on enough playable creatures without the ring tempts you that it just being tacked on as a bonus in my experience so far of testing sam the stouthearted the way that it really behaves is it feels very similar to stoneforge mystic in that you get to level up all of your dinky creatures without actually having to take up a slot in your deck. So uh, something that I remember of being like, oh, wow, this is really powerful is you have this ancillary effect outside of your deck, a la companion, that having access to it without having to replace a draw step is worth so much more than it seems at first glance. For Sam the Stouthearted, at least, which I can speak to from actually having experience, it's crazy to me that I haven't seen DNT decks in particular pick it up as a four of from the get-go. If ever there was a thing to rebuild DNT four and adding fetch lands to your mana base, it would be for Sam the Stouthearted. It just being a flash two one that works with fetch lands and wastelands at a baseline means that the card is exceptionally good at just getting you through development or anytime your opponent interacts with you in any meaningful way that would exchange a permanent off the table. I would have asked you guys about it earlier in the episode had I not learned from you how important it is that your green creature slots not be taken over by non-green creature slots. But the other part about Sam in particular, or that particular card with the ring tempts you, is if you have multiples, they sort of protect each other and the play pattern that you get into is your opponent has a wasteland on the table and know that you have a Sam and that you've either picked up with Krakas. Somehow they know you have a Sam. They cannot fire off their wasteland because you have the Sam because you just get to repick it up, which means that you get into a holding pattern where neither player moves. And when neither player moves, it's leveraging the player that's playing the deck that wants to go long. So if you're playing the grindy fair deck and you want the game to progress in some meaningful way into the later stages, that holding pattern is beneficial for you, not the opponent. Uh, so let's say if your Delver opponent wants to waste you and they can't because they can't interact with the Sam that's going to come down and just pick up the land and blank the wasteland, then they can't move on it. And that's really powerful. Uh, and it's not necessarily uh, recognizable at first glance when reading the card. The other thing with Sam is that if you have multiples, you can turbo through the ring tempts you. State-based actions are checked before you target. So when the second Sam touches, is you state based one of the le- legend rule one to the graveyard and then you can target that one so let's say you are on the first stage of ring tempts you and you just have four open mana and your opponent doesn't do anything you can just cycle through two sands and get to the third stage and then the fourth stage and then you can level up and now all of your dinky beaters are hitting for three and they're unblockable and they're looting it's a bunch of incidental effects that's similar to like if you have a mother of runes and like 
your sword on the table that you tutored up earlier with the Stoneforge Mystic, that sword represents every single creature being a lethal threat. And that's really strong. Like having to have every creature just be a must-remove target was really powerful. In, in my mind, the Ring Tempsu is certainly viable for Legacy. It's already started to show up in the Esper Control decks like we talked about last week. I don't know if it has, if there's space for it in Maverick, but it's something that I would recommend definitely testing in that like it works in Fetchlands and Wasteland, which is sort of something that both of your guys' style of Maverick is already interested in doing. And it might actually be viable in that sort of two drop slot that's not a green creature that we were talking about with Sylvan Library as an additional way to interact. Because if your opponent interacts with you in any way, and the other thing that it does is the ring tempts you turning other non-legendary creatures into legendary creatures, obviously, of course, levels up your Caracas. If your knight can tutor up a Caracas and then you can flash in a Sam, tempt the knight and then bounce it in response to a removal spell and just blow them out and then redeploy. Like that's a really powerful interaction that like if your opponent's just not keenly aware that Sam is a possibility, then they just get blown out by it. But then if you don't have it, they still have to consider it. Either choose or not to play around it. And they may not. So yeah, I would highly recommend giving it a go. It was impressive to me and I was playing it in a less powerful, just blue-white control shell that was sporting like some Snapcaster mages and stuff. Another spot that it's seeing play actually is, in with Sauron's Ransom, is in this new 80-car Yurion Death Shadow deck. Um, and, and that's really interesting because if you can get your Death Shadow to be on the board where it's not, you know, not dying as soon as it hits the board, but it's like a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2, two, two, then you could do things like attack with it, cast Dress Down, slam in, like, for a free, like, 13 damage to your opponent. Just being able to, like, get the extra card advantage, looting stuff. Uh, I mean, I think I think the ring tempts you, especially in that deck where you're uh, able to put it onto your Baleful Strixes, you're playing Orcs, you're basically uh, uh now now Death Shadow has gone from being basically like what was a Delver deck into like this sort of mid-range control creature deck. And so I think the ring tempts you is just like that added value that makes that makes the deck it, like just that much more viable. We were never thinking about playing like an 80-card Yurion pile of blue black cards before. First off, did I answer all parts of your question? Photo <laughs> Baggins was actually the card that I was I was, oh, talk, I was yeah. gonna talk about, uh, which is green and a white for a one-three legendary creature when it or another legendary creature enters the battlefield the ring tempts you uh and as long as frodo is the ring bearer it can't be oh it has to be blocked um so i think having like a green sunnable two drop that is a ring bearer is is pretty strong I, i'm not sure if i have mentioned it before but the the one of the most powerful stages of the ring tempts you for non-blue decks i think is that looting because Anytime you draw the sorts of plowshares or something that's blank against an opposing deck, being able to turn it into another card is just so powerful. It just feels so good to be able to do that. Frodo and stuff that's good with it. I know that we already play a lot of three drops. Have you guys considered the new green-white Aragorn that every time a creature ETBs, you get to move counters around? It's quite good. I don't I don't know if you guys have played against it yet, but uh, a, in a fair matchup, you, no, nobody's beaten that card if it stays on the table. So this is a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever the ring tempts you, you choose a creature other than Aragorn, and you can put First Strike, Vigilance, Death Touch, or and Lifelink. Choose, what, one of those? Yeah, one of those and put that onto Aragorn. And then whenever one or more counters is put onto Aragorn, put one of each of those counters onto a one other of your creatures. Very good. Design-wise, it's good with uh, Frodo in that it triggers whenever the ring tempts you, and every time a creature ETBs with Frodo, the ring tempts you, and then you can just start spamming all of these different kinds of counters, given the situation, onto your opponent, or onto your other creatures, and level them up similarly to what Frodo was doing to begin with. The biggest issue, I'd say, is three mana dies to bolt. But if we move out of a Delver-ish meta, which we may be, I, I like this. Having to have one or more creature seems reasonable if you're playing dorks or bowmaster so i could imagine 
that the tempt another creature is something it, it may not be your only creature. I think if the meta is creature versus creature, these kind of decks have a lot of uh, play. You know, if you're getting attacked by like a, a Delver or a Murktide or just like a Gristlebrand, like all these cool cards really need setup. But man, that does seem like a force to be reckoned with if you get it going. I definitely do want to experiment with these. They're probably so, not uh, that expensive online either. I mean, they're very cheap in paper. Dukes, why is Feasting Hobbit not just the greatest thing for Maverick since uh, since Green Sun Zenith was printed in the first place? Look, it's tough because to not have a Hobbit in the deck feels unjustified, mm. but it kind of runs into that Tamagoy effect where it's a great beta, but it doesn't disrupt. That's that's my only my only gripe. Best way to stop your opponent from casting spells is to kill them. It does disrupt their life total. Yeah. <laughs> And I do want to test things before I ever have a definitive opinion about it. If I untap with nothing, it used to be I feel like I win. Mm. I wouldn't say I feel like I win still, but it feels amazing. And it's a three mana card. Multiple three mana cards to me is a tall order unless the metagame is like taxes, maverick, Jund, Jerk's not playing one mana instant speed Wrath of Gods, you know. Yeah, I hate those guys. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> worst. Absolutely uh, worst among us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh if if the meta does come to even like say eight cast, I can imagine some of these having some game against eight cast, uh, you know, because that that deck fights you, you know, when it kills you. That that's really the big thing. I think so long as we're playing MTGO. There's going to be Tony, there's going to be the reanimate people, and there's going to be the, um, you know, the, the cooks and um, the delvers. And it's it, it's a tall order to have more than one creature on the board. But I do want to test it before I say anything definitive. Well, before before we drop off, guys, um, where can people find you guys at? Uh, we're going to we're going to get your links. We're going to put those below. But for people that are just listening, uh, where can people find you at? I'll go first. I definitely think Google has the big presence, uh, you know, done so much for the community. I think uh, even if I've been playing Legacy a little bit longer, I think his footprint is larger. And I think uh, the, the community that he's built on his Discord and in uh, Twitch, just in general, just an all around great person. But uh, for me, uh, right now, it's just... Uh, on Twitch, in Discord. I don't have social media. There was too many pictures of me holding a red cup or worse. Definitely just want to encourage people to, uh, you know, support the things that you like, That you know, things like this podcast, uh, things like Twitch channels. And if you could do it, the Buffalo Chicken Dip legacy, those big events that people are really putting together. Uh, somebody who had a dad who was a store owner. It is hard. They could be doing other stuff with their time. And if uh, we don't show up, they don't exist. Thanks for the kind words, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for the kind words, Mark. Means a lot coming from you. Duke's on Twitch. That's D-O-U-G-E-S. On Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Also the greensunzenith.com. I do have an exclusive to share. That's cool. Boy, for those of you who is are that still cool. It sure is. <laughs> so each, actually, the last 12 months, I've been doing Legacy Weekends, kind of quarterly, which is seven streams over three days, and usually have seven legacy guests on to co-host with i've rebranded that to the green suns summit which is happening on the september 8th weekend and i haven't announced the lineup yet but i will for you guys because mark is also wow. involved pretty cool it's gonna be mark uh michael mapson julian nub phil gallagher xj cloud pleasant kenobi and goblin lackey one 
That should be pretty sweet. Really wow. looking forward What to a that. lineup. Green Sun Summit. What a lineup. Hell yeah. I was in it and I didn't even know about the guests. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what a stacked lineup. There's not much we can do but close it from there. Uh, guys, thanks so much uh, for coming on the cast. Thanks for a having pleasure. us. Yeah, a real pleasure. It's a blast. You're welcome to come back anytime. Just hit us up. Everybody watching, uh, you know, you know, do the thing, the internet thing, like subscribe, all that stuff. That's it for us this week. Have a good one. Hey yo, what up? It's Fletcher Phillip on the track. I'm here with dudes on Twitch. We about to break it down. What it do? Green Sun Zenith, find the dukes on Twitch's creatures. Grip, 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 grip. Green Sun Zenith, Green Sun Zenith, making dukes on Twitch a genius. Grip, 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 grip. Green Sun Zenith, Green Sun Zenith, Green Sun Zenith. Grip, 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 grip. Green Sun Zenith, Green Sun Zenith, making dudes on Twitch a genius. Grip, 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 grip. Green Sun Zenith. Yo, dudes all over Twitch, playing Maverick like a maestro. Give the man a dry it all, but Green Sun's out at night. Oh, the Grand Aquarium are requesting beast for the beats. While you see, then you see, staring at his gadic teeth. You can't breathe, cause you're getting choked. Blast you in the zone. Call him Shang Tsung, cause he's got a cabin full of souls. Wasting all your lands, excavate them. Got a Draven's Graves arranging, man. You nap until he wakes you for a bane slaying. He's liberating outlands like a night of autumn. Trading swords for plows, endurance flips you to the bottom. Going wait on under with the dudes. Welcome to Australia. He collected winds like a new paraphernalia. The birds of paradise flying over the savannas. Where dudes is walking proud, balling out in regalia. He's the noble hierarch held in Gaia's cradle. Gazing up upon the skies where he sees a savior. Green sun zenith, finding dukes on Twitch's creatures. Grip, 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 grip. Green sun zenith. Green sun zenith, making dukes on Twitch a genius. Grip, 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 grip. Green sun zenith. Green sun zenith. Green sun zenith. Grip, 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 grip. Green sun zenith. Green sun zenith, making dukes on Twitch a genius. Grip, 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 grip. Green sun zenith.